I don't know if you saw it, like right after, maybe it was during the pandemic, there was this piece in the Atlantic. It was called, It's Your Friends Who Break Your Heart, something like that. And it was basically articulating that we have all these protocols for how we handle like difficult parents and like therapies around, you know, repairing romantic relationships that we don't have that kind of lexicon or those tools to help us with our friendships. But as I think, you know, I've been talking about as we get older, our friendships become even that much more important to us. And we realize maybe we don't have great skills for recovering from tough setbacks or making new friends or there's lots of books out there on like how to repair love and find love and maintain love. But I'm not sure there's as many books about doing that with friends. Hey friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I want to see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. I'm excited about today's conversation because friendships are so critical and we're going to be talking about friendships, different kinds of relationships at work with trying to make friends in midlife and joining us today for this conversation is Nyla Bari. I want to say it like more Middle Eastern. How do you pronounce it, Nyla? I say Bari because I'm actually, yeah, that's how I've been socialized to say it. Yeah, yeah. Same. We share that Middle Eastern heritage. We so. do. So let's yeah. <laughs> so let's lean into it. Let's lean into that. I'm realizing our differences are our superpowers. So I'm trying to embrace that more. Um, so Nyla has actually been a guest before. We had a fantastic conversation. I'm going to link that uh, in the show notes. So you can listen to that one too. That was really around work and career. And in fact, Nyla is an executive coach, an educator, facilitator, and co-host of the Inside Job podcast. Her mission is to help everyone she collaborates with create their ideal relationship with work, one that lets them thrive, experience more satisfaction and flow, and deliver excellence. Her clients include individual leaders and teams across organizations and levels, and she works with numerous companies, including Apple, American Express, uh, the Royal Bank of Canada, ABC Disney. Nyla served as the Dean of Students at Columbia Business School for for 15 years, where she coached and taught thousands of students and co-founded the Leadership Lab, the clearinghouse for leadership activities for MBA and EMBA students. Welcome back, Nyla. I'm so excited to have you back on the show. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so excited to be talking about this topic because it just generates so much thought and feeling for me about friendship and friendships at work and friendships outside of work and friendships at midlife, all these things that we're experiencing. Totally. And it's interesting because it changes. I think the way we make friends when we're younger, there's so many built in 
systems. You go to whatever, it's high school, then college, then work, which is what we'll start with, Um, you know, and then maybe whatever outside activities. But then as you get older, it's like a lot of times it's geared around if you have children, um, you know, but a work environment in theory is like a great place, but not necessarily one that I don't know. A lot of people think about and and before our interview, I actually Googled friendships at work, and there was a recent article at the, from the Harvard Business Review. There was mm-hmm. one from Time. Like, there's this has been covered, and yeah. they actually say that your performance, your level of job satisfaction, your your desire to stay at a place actually is impacted by friends. But I'd love to get your your insight into this, since you know yeah. careers are your this is your thing. Careers are definitely my thing. Work is my thing. Um, and I think friendship might be my thing too. As I was Ooh. reflecting when you came up, you know, when you wrote back to me and said, Hey, why don't we talk about this? I started thinking about my own life and my friendships and my female friendships in particular. Um, and how it has helped me grow there. I do remember I actually did a, like a long LinkedIn reflection on a piece that was in the New York times. Um, maybe at this point more than a year ago, cause I remember writing it in the sun last summer and it was about how those first form, like first friendships that you form in your early work really help you grow up. And I think you're mm. absolutely right that friendship and even just more casual relationships are baked into high school and college because of just we're with a group of people. Sure. There's infrastructure yeah. there for us. And for a lot of us, and it's something I'm thinking a lot now as I have a 19-year-old, but for back when I started my first jobs in the 90s, where we entered like as classes of early in career professionals. Like, you know, I had a lot of friends like me who worked in law firms or who went to investment banking or other kinds of companies where they would onboard like class from either 12 to maybe a hundred people. Yeah. So yeah. You kind of enter with this cohort. Yes. And it becomes very easy to have that first set of friends at work. And this article went on to explain how formative those friends are at helping you understand your own career aspirations, which is what mm. caught my eye and my ear. Like those For me, that law firm, those long, long hours, and very obviously within a week, believing and understanding that I do not belong in a law firm anymore. Wait, wait, what were you, were you? I was a paralegal. Did we not talk? So I was a paralegal. That was my first job out of college. Wait, can I ask what your major was in college? It was political science and education minor. What was yours? Okay, so mine was English and French. I had two majors. And this is what English made. I mean, you would basically, the way it was, is like you either went down the PhD in English route, which I was not going to do. Or people said to you, well, you're a strong writer. You should become an attorney. So all these, all, a lot of us went to law firms and within like 15 minutes, I was like, oh, this is not for me. But oh, you I, knew right away. I knew right away. But you know why I stayed for a full year? Okay. Because I had made friends at work and I loved them. And we were having so much fun. Like it was terrible work at once because it was so long. And I mean, the hours were terrible. And I remember doing an awful lot of filing and stapling, getting yelled at by partners. But <laughs> we were doing it with all these great, I'd met all these great kids from all over the country. We were brought in in this like, class. I mean, there must have been 80 of us and we were given a floor. We all had office mates. It almost felt like an extension of college. Wait, this was a large law firm. Large law firm in New York City in the mid 90s. Okay. Okay. This is so fun because that's how I started at work. And I knew I, well, I always thought I was going to be an attorney. And so Mm. they were like in a liberal arts college or like political science is a good entree. And so I did that. And then I went in and, um, it was a smaller firm at the time, but ended up going to the third largest law firm. 
And I actually ended up going from paralegal to the director of marketing by the time I was 27. Yes, I ended up staying, Nyla, because I loved it. But I interviewed kind of as my curiosity. Here I am with my podcast. I would go and talk to every lawyer that I worked with. I'm like, hey, what did you what do you love about what you do? They're all like, don't go to law school. Go get your MBA. They literally 90% of them told me to get wow. my MBA. They're like, if you get your JD, get an MBA too. Like nobody was like, yes, go to law school. It was really interesting. Not because, I mean, I was I was a good paralegal and I would never say no to any project. So I was like there and I loved it. But there's definitely funny. a social aspect to it too. You know, it was just a young firm. Everyone yes. was really fun and cool. And so I was like crying when I left as a paralegal. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to miss these people. It was two years for me. But then yeah. it, but I had decided during that time I wasn't going to law school and I didn't know what was next. Mm. I knew pretty fast I wasn't going to law school, but I stayed longer than I should have. You know, in retrospect, um, and it wasn't even, it wasn't really for a great reason. I was living at home, so I didn't have expenses. And I, my parents were pretty much like, yeah, it's clear you don't belong here. But I had met a handful of people who I felt like I was in it with them. Yeah. One of whom I'm still close to this to this day. I mean, now it's 30 something years and I'm still close to him. Uh, we don't speak as frequently, but I mean, there was a time where he was like my person. He was my oh. best friend. Oh. And he was a guy who also said to me, you don't belong here. Like, it's so evident <laughs> that the Kate, like you're not interested in what we're doing. And <laughs> so that article that we're referencing, that New York Times article was really about how much we learn from those friends. And I always credit him. And then another woman I met at the next job I had for helping me figure out I was in the wrong place. And I think that's just like one of the funny benefits you don't expect from friends at work. You think, well, we're going to have a great time together. We're single and there's no kids. So we're going to go out after work. And we'll like make fun of the bosses behind their backs and do all those friend things. But in fact, these two people, Chris and Sarah, who I've thanked for this before, were two people who looked at me multiple times in the times that we worked together and said, like, you really, what you talk about and what you're interested in and when you light up, it has nothing to do with what we're doing here. So I would pay attention to that. And it's really shaped so much of how I think about work. That's so interesting. And one of my best friends, I'll give Sunshine uh, a shout out. She was, I was a corporate paralegal. She was a litigation paralegal and she was moving back to California. And we kind of met at the end of like both of our time there. And mm -hmm. I was in her wedding. I mean, we've been friends since, and we realized we had so much in common. So it's just funny, but my next step was because of another friend that I grew, grew up with. It was like, oh, you should try recruiting, like headhunting. And so I became, I went into executive search, which I absolutely hated. Um, but but it's how I learned about marketing. So yes, the, so it's interesting. So the friendships is at probably even at any time can like direct maybe what you explore. Yeah, I think if we let them, right? Because I think one of the, I mean, there's so many reasons to have friends at work. And it's, you know, as you're mentioning, like the stuff you've been reading um, and the evidence that having a good friend leads to better engagement. I don't know if you've ever worked for an organization that used a Gallup type survey, like for engagement surveys. Yeah. Um, so Gallup's, I think, one of the biggest providers of these surveys. And they have a pretty well-known question, which is, I, you know, yes, no, I have a best friend at work. And when you first read that question, you're kind of like, what are we doing here? But then it correlates to the, to the literature that suggests that our engagement level and our performance grows if we have someone we call a best friend at work, um, which of course we can get into like what allows us to have best friends at work and whether there is a distinction, what kinds of distinctions there are between our work friends and our, you know, air quote, real friends. Yes. But I do think to your question, like if we let someone see us, if we can become open and 
disclose safely at work around what we're enjoying or what people are observing about us and even calling it feedback if we want to. I think that our friends at work can be the most instructive, right? Because all of us put a little bit of a face on for our bosses, especially early in career, Mm -hmm. right? But then you come back to your office or your cubicle or your floor and you're like, oh my God, you know, I either messed this up or I'm really frustrated by this or I hate this part or I wish they would give me more work around this part. And your friends hopefully are paying attention to that and they can help you plan and think and brainstorm. I mean, I think that's one of the great benefits, especially early in career of having friends at work is that they help you see yourself in a way that sometimes we fail to see what's right in front of us. Mm. Um, But, you know, again, that requires that we let people in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. I also think at that age, we're probably more open to it than we are as we get older. Totally are. We totally are. And that can be wonderful. And then also it can be truly painful. So I had an experience in my early career where there was a woman who I thought was truly like my best friend at work. And we hung out outside and she like, and we like really were close. At least I thought we were, but I should have paid attention to the red flags, like the way she would talk about her roommates. And I never met her roommates, but all I knew about, you know, was one had halitosis and the other, like, I was like, why are you telling me that? Like, I don't want to know that about someone who's your friend. And then at some point I didn't meet that woman. (laughs) Like, that's like the first thing I'm thinking about because she like kept cock. And I was like, I remember like you sort of brush it aside and you don't think about it. But when I um, went from paralegal, went to recruiting and then became, went into marketing. um, When I left, I had told her, I was like, if people come by, they know we're so close, just give them my number. I'm not obviously going to shoot it out in an email to you know, Mm. whole firm. And um, I ran into a few people from the firm. They were like, yeah, we went and talked to so-and-so. And and she said, you were interested in staying connected. And I was like, what? That's so weird. So weird. So I started putting a little bit of distance. And then I came back in as in marketing. And then six months later, I was like a marketing assistant. And then by six months later, I got promoted. It was kind of a crazy situation. So got all these emails. Congrats, congrats. Not from her. And then this young guy came and I never worked with him, but he was still in her department. And he was like, um, so-and-so said you didn't want anyone to bother you, but I just really wanted to say congratulations. And I was like, whoa, this is really weird. And so what happened is that there were certain people that I thought were I was friends with, that she was friends with. Who knows? Maybe she told them I had halitosis because they really looked at me like I was a leper and like some horrible person. So what I took away from that was, A, keep the distance because clearly she's not the friend I thought she was. So I'm benefiting. And two, anyone who's actually listening to whatever she's selling doesn't really care about me and really know me. So I'm okay with that too. Like she's done me a favor. But it it hurt. It hurt. Oh Oh man, I was like, blindsided because like there was multiple situations like that where people were like she said you know you didn't want this and I was like okay oh, and that's so, you know what I think which makes me hurt for you and I mean of course I've been there and everyone's I think been there where I mean there's so many illusions created by the proximity and the volume of time we spend together with people yeah. work, right like I mean, I'm sure I said this to you last time I visited your show that we spend 90,000 hours of our lives at work. That's the number. And that is, an, I mean, it's more time. For a lifetime? Like, over a lifetime, the average American. That's insane. 
Yeah. Well, it's all really insane when you consider like it's the it's the biggest volume of hours we'll spend on any conscious activity. We should sleep about 123,000 hours of our lives, but you know, I'm a middle-aged woman, I don't sleep that much, but um it's more time than I'll spend with my kids with with my partner, like yes. it is it's the most time dominant activity of our lives. So it's really easy to see how we start to confound and start to create stories around how intimate we are with people, what a friendship means to us relative to what it might mean to them. Yes, And, you know, just, it's so easy. I can imagine myself, I can picture myself in my twenties, like the illusion of time being like, well, we're so close because we spent so much time together and we do things together, right? Yes. Solve problems together and we get, you know, bitched at by our bosses together and we survive difficult long nights at the office together. And maybe we even travel together or we play together. So it's, I I remember also the devastation of leaving a job and then realizing the friendship didn't have legs. Like once the context was gone, there's not a lot there. And for years, these people, I mean, I'm picturing the face of one woman in particular for years, she'd been like my kind of my co-pilot professionally yeah. she'd been with me for years you know again ev- troubleshooting and venting and we'd both gotten married and had our children at the same time you know we were all at work at the same time this was happening yeah. and then when she left and I left quickly thereafter you know a year later we felt like strangers and it was so baffling to me because for so many years we'd been so intimate and she knew everything about my struggles and my hopes and my aspirations and she'd watch me, you know, cry after a tough meeting. She'd watch me celebrate after promotion. I had done the same for her. And then it's like, oh, you kind of change the scenery and there's nothing there. And that's that was really hard. I, I remember that that pain very acutely. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if you saw it, like right after, maybe it was during the pandemic, there was this piece in the Atlantic. It was called it's your friends who break your heart, something like something like that. And it was basically articulating that we have all these protocols for how we handle like difficult parents and like therapies around, you know, repairing romantic relationships. And we don't have that kind of lexicon or those tools to help us with our friendships. But as I think, you know, I've been talking about as we get older, our friendships become even that much more important to us. And we realize maybe we don't have great skills for recovering from tough setbacks or making new friends or there's lots of books out there on like how to repair love and find love and maintain love. But I'm not sure there's as many books about doing that with friends. Wow. This is so good. This is so good. Cause everything you're saying is it like hit me when you were talking about that woman and how much you share and you're like, you care about them. And and I think Nyla, you and I are the same in the sense that like, we like our people are our people. We've got their backs. We're rooting for them. We want the best for them. You know, it, there's like, as if there's something secret or something, you know, that they're sharing, you will go to the grave with it. I just right. can sense that that's right. who you are. Yeah. Like, that's very, on, like I honor friendships and relationships very strongly. Like they matter a ton to me. Me too. So me too. So when you were talking about that, I guess like I'm talking about it, like, oh, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. But no, at the time it was confusing and deeply painful. But, you know, it's interesting because now as we are in midlife and I'm talking about, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is tune out everyone else and get really connected to that inner voice of yours and go for it because, you know, people are going to talk, people are going to say things and you don't want to hold them back. And I will say that never, that situation didn't hold me back. I loved my job. 
I was committed to it and I I had the best time in my job and I found my people and you know two of the women who worked with me in my department we were all around the same age cuz I was promoted at you know I was 27 when I got the job yeah. and it was the ninth largest law firm at the time it was third by the time I left um we were the same age they were at my wedding you know I loved these women I love them and did we hang out outside of work no but I loved them right I loved them and I wanted them there so you know it's you said we could talk about sort of like the different layers but maybe that's a transition into it. Well, it's an interesting thing. I used to have this friend in college um, who (laughs) would say like, when we were becoming friends, when I went to a women's college, so this is like, you know, a lot of, lot of talk about friendship and lots of instant friendships. It's kind of like just add water friendships that you realize over time, there's just, it's not going to live, but you tried. And she would always say to me, there's a distinction between the people I really love to talk to, like the people like you, who I really want to be around and confide in. And then what she would call action friends, like people I do things with. And they might, you know, like I, I need action friends. And I think I underestimated in my early days how much I needed action friends because I always wanted big, intense, like super profound friendships. That's the kind of thing I'm drawn to. I, like you, have friends I've been friends with for 25, 30, 40 years. I maintain this small but very intimate group of people around me. But I'll always remember my friend saying, you need action friends. You need friends to do things with who yes. maybe, your, maybe your closest friends don't share you know, a growing interest in whatever your hobby or traveling to a particular part of the country or the world. And you need someone to do those things with. And I've been thinking about that lately because I think as I'm a, you know, I'm I'm in midlife and I still have my intimate friends. And yet there's things I'm developing a curiosity for or, you know, have hobbies or practices around. And I'm like, I need people to do those things with. And my maturation as a human is being like, okay, I don't have to have all my friends do exactly what I love to do, but I got to find people to do those things with. And when we talk about like different layers of friendships or different kinds of friendships, um, I think those are some of the things that were, I didn't understand in my twenties, which is why I could be so profoundly hurt. Yes. I think in my twenties or even my thirties, because I thought, well, if we are on a similar timeline family-wise and we do similar work we seem to have comparable values around that work, then that must mean we're like soulmates. It must mean that we're going to be friends forever. Mm. And I think that's part of the mess that we get into is like, yeah, forgetting that context change and that our needs for friendship must be met by a number of different people. And I'm sure in your life, you have friends who are like more casual friends who are like, I'm just so happy to see you on the tennis court or so happy to see you wherever I see you. And I'm probably not going to call you between now and the next time we bump into each other. And that's okay. Yeah. Versus the friends you can't go a week without talking to. Totally. Totally. Or the ones that you literally know you could call at two in the morning and they're going to pick up the phone and it's totally good. Or even those friends you don't see for a year and you pick up right where you left off and it's so comfortable and like amazing. But I wanted, you used a word, you said work, you share the same values at work of at yeah. for work. So as coaches too, we know the importance of your value system. And one of the values that I hold is integrity. And another is loyalty. And another is truly is friendship. So that woman violated all, there was no integrity in that. And there was no loyalty and uh, clearly didn't, maybe she values other friendships, but not mine. You know what I mean? So whether there was a little bit of envy, because one of the other guys that we were both friends with came in, he's like, what about so-and-so? Like I had left her behind. I'm like, she doesn't want to be head of marketing. Like, and even if she, (laughs) like, that's not my fault if I got a job that I was suited for, do you know, it was just a weird comment. And I was like, well, what about, what about me? What, well, what about me? What about, 
congratulations, you know? So, I mean, you've just said something like, I think when I think about like some of the pitfalls we have with friendships and, you know, this could be work and it could be otherwise, I think envy is one of those things that like, we don't expect to see show up in our friendships. Like maybe we expect it with our siblings or, you know, those kinds of relationships where, you know, especially when your parents are still playing a role in measuring or expectations or all that stuff that you and I have talked about in the past. But I think often with our friends, we figure, well, there'll be abject joy for one another's accomplishments. All we're going to do is root for each other. All we're going to do is feel awesome about each other's accomplishments. But I definitely have observed, I remember on my team at Columbia, I had I had a number of young people who worked on my team. And it was an interesting thing to observe. Like somebody would accelerate and then you'd see factions start to form because they had been friends. And now somebody was the boss over other you know, women who she'd been their colleague for years or you'd see someone um, well if I had been her boss I almost could see it a little bit but I I wasn't we were in right but you see really but like maybe it's not about direct supervision but it's about like acceleration who seems to have power who seems to have clarity yeah even to be the friend who knows what they want and who's able to navigate build relationships you know, you I I remember watching these young women and one of them had kind of, she was just on a different timeline. Like she was a little more clear on her future. She was very ambitious. She also got married first, and that was kind of another weird dynamic to be thrown in there. So that you know, you want a friendship to have this kind of mutual support. Yes. And we all have to face what happens when someone who's our friend starts getting things we want faster than we're getting them. Um, or differently, right? They get touched by, you know, the someone in the senior level administration to say, hey, I'm kind of, I think there's an opportunity for you else where you get plucked and put somewhere else or you get attention for an accomplishment. It's very interesting because mm, interesting. We're, we're friends, but we're also maybe there's a little competition. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of like, yeah, I mean, I just, I watched it happen and I have seen it. I've been in there with those shoes, of course, myself, because who hasn't? But it's always interesting because we want our friendships to be pure, but you throw in a work context, you throw in anywhere where resources seem a little scarce, attention, promotion, pay, and strange things start to happen. Wow. This is so so good. It's so, so, so true. Um, I do wonder, and I don't know how connected you are to it. Like we're talking about when you were younger and the dynamics and we've navigated and we've had the broken hearts from those losses. Like you said, you know, not enough talk discussion is around the, those truly important relationships and having your heart broken. I'm just wondering, um, is it harder like in midlife, you know, and if everyone's working on screens now, like what does that look like in terms of, cause I have to say there was something nice, you know, walking in, talking to the receptionist. I I literally had her one day I was in Boston and somebody beeped at me and it was the woman who used to be the receptionist at the law firm. I hadn't seen her in 10 years. And we're like, oh my God, how's your daughter? You know, we were like, it was so nice to see her, but like just even those, you know, the water cooler talk or like those, those interactions, they also feed your soul in some meaningful way too. So what, 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 what do we know about this? Well, I hear two different things in there. One is the question about proximity. Yes. One is the question about middle age or older life. Yes. So yes. let me let's talk about the first one first because I I've not looked deep into the data on this and I know it's starting to be. I mean, we're not going to know for years what this period right. of time has done to us or is doing to us. What I can tell you, anecdotally, is that um, yeah, I think there's a cost. We gain so much by having the freedom to work where we want to work. Right. I love being able to be in my home and go to the gym and be around the dog and when my kids are home, see them. 
But I know I have, and this is, you know, so I won't even use myself now because I work for myself. But when I, for instance, when I left Columbia, I worked for an organization where I worked at home two or three days a week. And I went to the office two or three days a week. And how I spent my time was totally different. So I was able to benefit from the casual interactions and you know, we used to, I guess we still call it water cooler talk, but you know, the, the meeting between the meetings, right? That the, I just dated myself now, Nyla. Yeah. I don't know. Does any, are there water coolers? Uh, I have no idea. Let's that. just say the coffee, there's probably yeah, still a the, coffee you know, machine. Yeah. I called it a, I think I called it a break room on a podcast the other day. And I That's was like, funny. I'm, I'm officially a hundred. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, okay. Apparently I'm 200. So yeah. <laughs> okay. I, although I doubt they we'll had enjoy, water coolers we'll, 200 years ago, but anyway. <laughs> But I think we do we do benefit, especially if we're talking about the friendship side of the house. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of work to be done around understanding how work gets done in the margins like that. But certainly from a friendship perspective, yeah, you get to kind of chit-chat, right, in a way that's harder now, for sure. Um, conversely, I think what I notice is that virtually, especially if you're someone who's committed to it, you can now have connections. Like I have colleagues on the West Coast, yourself included, um, all over the country where now I because time seems to be spread a little more evenly between my Zoom calls, I might spend as much time small talking with someone who I'm working with who's in New York, 22 miles from me, or someone who's in California, thousands of miles from me. So I think it's really about our choice, like how deliberate we are about investing in, I don't like to call it small talk, but maybe that kind of informal, friendly talk. Yes. Um, I think that we're definitely going to be seeing differences in how rapport is built. And, you know, the article, again, that we started this conversation referencing, a lot of the questions raised in there was like, what happens to our young people who are starting their jobs from their home offices or kitchen tables or whatever? Well, you know, my my 19-year-old works for a small healthcare company right now. She does social media for them uh, just for the summer. But because of virtual work, her boss is almost never in the office when she's in the office. So Uh, my daughter goes in in the morning and her boss is still at home and gives direction and coaching over the phone or through Zoom. And so now my daughter's learning, but she's like, we don't have the, we don't have the chance to kind of build that casual rapport and trust that you can have in other contexts. So, you know, it's something we all are going to have to figure out how to navigate. I don't know if there's great answers right now. No, it's true. And then in midlife, I don't know how much of a priority it is for a woman, you know, in her 40s or 50s who's going into the workplace to have those friends. Because just like us, they could have the childhood friend, the friends from high school, the friends from their early work days, the friends from mm-hmm. playing tennis. Like they may just want the time with their families. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like any free time they have, it may not really be about that. But I'd love your thoughts. Yeah. Well, if you, um, I, I, I'm wondering if like that kind of conundrum for the women who are our age and are as busy and have rich lives um, is for work or not work. You know what I'm saying? I think that kind of, are we devoted enough and have we prioritized enough to make friends in adulthood, I think is a question we can ask ourselves with or without work. Mm. Um, And if you, you know, the, you know, the surgeon general came out and and said like loneliness is the biggest national. Yeah, he wrote a know, book about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. there's, it's kind of spewed all this kind of additional research and writing and thinking around like the state of friendships in, in adulthood and these kind of hypotheses about why we're not great at friendship and why we don't, why so many people, I think the numbers are really astonishing. It's something like um, more people now say they have like maybe fewer friends in any period in documented history or Americans mm-hmm. at least. And um, there was this thing that came out saying it was a, a survey on 
survey center on American life or national life. And it says that many Americans, like the number of Americans who report they don't have a single close friend has like exponentially grown in the last 20 Mm. years. And there's all these reasons people think that could be true. We work too much. We parent very differently than our parents parented. Like we're way more involved with our kids. Totally. Um, And I think it just kind of created this collective just disregard for friendships. And even those of us, I mean, I can think of so many women I know who say like, it matters to me so much to be close to my friends and to be a good friend, but I don't do it. I don't make time for it. I don't prioritize it. I kind of hang out with the same two or three people because it's easy or because our spouses are also friendly or because, you know, we do have that thing. We play tennis or we attend the same church or whatever. But I think what ends up happening for us is we get out of the habit. I mean, I I can say this and I can say it about many of the people I'm close with. It's it, It's a habit to make time to get off the couch, even though you're tired, to make plans and keep them, to learn a new thing together or try a new thing together. Um, and I think too many people I know have fallen out of the habit. And it's so easy to do other things that are less energetically expensive, like watch a movie or do nothing. Um, That's true. Yeah. But I think we feel, I mean, we feel the vacancy. I don't know a single person who's like, oh, you know what I do spend too much time doing is hanging out with people I love. I just don't, I don't see that as a problem <laughs> that people are having. <laughs> no, it's totally true. And as you're talking, I was thinking about two things. I think women, especially, I do think women our age want meaningful relationships because a couple of things are happening. One is we care, we don't give a shit about what people think as much. So we've taken stock of like who's in our life and maybe some people have fallen away and we're, we're good with that. Right. And on the other side though, there's still the desire to make those meaningful relationships and it can be sort of awkward, especially when you're doing it through school engagement, right? Like whether your kids are little or, you know, in their high school, or you're like trying to make friends, um, I know for me, when my daughter went to preschool, I'm an extrovert. I had stopped working, which was such a big part of my soul and identity and joy. But I I chose to to stop and I realized like I would show up at school. um, Like I said, I like to go deep kind of, you know, not fast, but like I really want to know about somebody. So I was more curious about who they were versus like, oh, so-and-so is so excited to have a play date with your daughter. I'm like, I can't have these kinds of conversations. Like, this is so, I cannot talk like this. I will not. And so it was, it was hard for me to find my, my way. And, you know, I'm so grateful. I, I would say I added two amazing women into my life and I'm just grateful that I found them. One was through like an interest of mine. My, I love French. There's a little, there's a French cultural center in the neighborhood. And when my daughter was a year, I took her to French class because of course she needed that. I mean, I needed it. Right. And I found one of my best friends there, Alexandra, whose daughter was nine months older. We've been friends since. And so, and she's one of the most amazing women. So I feel super grateful to have found that. But part of me also thinks like if we were going on a dating app or meeting, like going in a room to meet 30 guys, if you found one guy that you thought was like somebody you wanted to date, You'd be doing odds, well. Yeah, I don't those think odds it's are good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so I don't actually think it's that different with friendships, especially as we're older and a little bit more discerning about what we're willing to like, yes. what we truly desire out of a friendship. And it can be an action friend. Like, yeah, you want to go sure. play pickleball? Sure. Let's go do that. But we don't have to like, we're not going to talk about the things that I'm, that are keeping me up at night. Right. 
I love that you're saying this because I think that's true. I think it goes back to how we hold different standards for ourselves and for how we are in those relationships when it comes to romance and when it comes to friendship. I think, I don't know why it seems to us like we should be friends with everybody we meet just because we have something in common, which might be the kids. My oldest daughter will sometimes say to me, you're not really friends with my friend's (laughs) parents. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's on purpose. Like, sorry, but like by choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a point at which you just, you know, yourself and you realize how little time you have for anything and how precious it is. And when you really have a a friendship, whether it's long-term or even temporary, what the difference is between spending time with someone who like, where that connection exists and that presence exists. And the difference between these like BS crap at the side of the fields or I can only do that for so long. Like you, like my fuse for that is quite short. And I was probably the mom on the blacktop who was like, drop kid off, tear back to the car because I couldn't participate. I found it so hard to participate in that, all that kind of, I don't know, it's like that kind of sugar-coated crap. I just couldn't deal with it. And when you know the real thing, you become very selective, but still... I think we do expect that I should be able to make new friends of meaning faster because we don't we don't use the same level of discernment or allow ourselves the same level of discernment we do for romantic love where we're like I'll know when I know and it's okay if like you know you're a good good guy but not for me with a friend I wish we could be as like yeah you're a great girl but like I just don't think it's working this isn't going to go anywhere and yeah. that's actually okay and that frees yeah. both of us up to find a friendship that's got more to offer us yeah I wish that- I mean I hope for our kids we can they can do that it's funny what you said about the drop off. I would walk to school because we lived literally a few blocks away. And so it was it was a neighborhood school. And so there was a lot of foot traffic, if you will. So you, you were having that. But it was really funny to me to like, I was like, who are you? Who is this woman who's so socially awkward walking up and like, so like deeply uncomfortable dreading the drop off and pick up because that's not really my personality. And I can talk to, you know, engage with people, but it was just... I don't know. It was just not something I enjoyed. And I, uh, yeah, I remember thinking, oh gosh. And like some of the women, it just seems so effortless. You know, they yeah. had their crew and I was like, good for you. I was like, I'm not finding that. And I also would laugh. Like I remember some of the little parties at the school and the dads, I'd, like I always got, I always find that I got along with the dads. They're just more chill. And I don't know. And I remember just hanging out with a couple and they're like, women are so mean to each other, you know, and they well, we just, are, we can be, that's for sure. For sure. For, for sure. sure. Be, and yeah. so, you know, I just always found like I could hang with the dads really easily and really yeah. be laughing and enjoying myself. When we weren't like, it wasn't like, Hey, let's go hang out. It was just a comfort level where I didn't feel that awkwardness, Yeah. Um, which is funny. I don't know. I never really had that dynamic before. And I didn't, I didn't understand where it was coming from. Yeah. I don't know. I think for me, one of the things I used to pay attention to was like, there were a handful of us, especially I'm thinking about when my oldest one worked was, you know, kindergarten, first, second, third grade. Like we didn't just work. We worked like a lot. Like there were a number of us who worked very like time consuming jobs away from the area at the time. We all worked in New York and, you know, I live in Northern New Jersey. So most of us were kind of watching, like if we could even do drop off, we were watching the clock pretty carefully because we had to get, you know, in for a particular set of meetings and it did create these kind of little factions, you know? And then I remember getting a little bit of BS from some uh, women who I, because I worked so much and I worked away from the house, 
I wasn't able, I was very selective about where I could volunteer. And, you know, I live in a community where the schools are really, I mean, the parents play an enormous role in running things around here. And I couldn't be one of those parents for those first few years. And I remember getting like a couple, like a little talking to by another mom. And I was like, dude, have my back here. Like, find a way I can be involved rather than getting on my my case because I can't show up at 11 a.m. in the morning. Um, But that's your comment about like, I think also what makes us a little gun shy. I think all those little like nicks and scratches in our psyche, (laughs) like- you know, you start becoming a little more cautious and a little more careful and a little more, I mean, I know I did because I walk in my generally, like I would say I'm really open-hearted and I'm very, because I'm so interested in people and human stories and connecting and in love, like, I'm like, let's do this. And then when those little, like those micro abrasions happen, you're like, oof, like, I don't know if I can keep exposing myself this way. And I think that's part of why when you ask, why does it get harder when you get older? Yeah. We spent too much time on other things. Um, or we've made choices about where to spend some time, but also I think we've been hurt. And so we get more and more careful. I think that's so true. And all those words you use to describe yourself 100%. And so that was me every day with like open heart and like, tell me about who you are and like what matters to you. And it's like, let's not talk about the play dates. And it's so interesting as you're talking, because like, I don't know that it makes sense to do this, but in my mind, I'm filtering like the kinds of relationships we have into these like three broad categories, right? Because we have like our our family, right? Like our parents, our siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, all that kind of stuff, extended yeah. family, family of origin plus extended family. And then you have your partner or spouse. And it's not to say that everyone ends up in a long-term monogamous relationship, but you know, I have been in, I've been with the same guy I've been married to for 23 years, been together for 25 years. And then we have our friendships. And it's like, in a way, it's like, I do think we're, there's so much to prepare us or at least attempt to prepare us for how to be a good sibling or daughter um, or a good partner and so little about how to prepare us for how to be a good friend. And there's so much churn mm. in that third category, right? Cause like your long, your parents relationship, it could be tumultuous and difficult, but you've got the same set of people you're trying to figure it out with mm. for the bulk of your life, your yeah. partner, maybe, I mean, I hope for us, like same person for the bulk of my life. I'm trying to figure out how to be in relationship with this one person for the bulk of my life. Same thing yeah. with my kids. Yeah. Throw friends. It's like a constantly changing cast of characters. Contexts are changing all the time. I mean, you know, we're talking about my high school friends or my work friends from this job versus that job, or, you know, the friends who my kids were friends with when they were in elementary school versus who their friends are now in college. And you realize that it's like a t- constantly rotating cast of characters with scene changes like every two or three years. And we wonder why it's so, it can be so confusing and so hard. Yeah. You know, it's like the landscape is constantly changing and the players are constantly changing. Yeah. And as I was listening to you talk about like the difference between mm-hmm. a school in Boston and a school in California, you're like, no wonder it's hard. You know, so much has changed between those two places and then throw in, kids of varying ages and our jobs and our communities and things that we're involved with. Yeah. No wonder we're so tired. Oh, right. Or like you said, the expectations or the judgment that, you know, there's this idea that there's the stay-at-home moms and then the working moms and they're like at odds about, you know, who's doing it the the right way or something. It's just like, let's just all, let's just all get along. Um, (laughs) But no, I like the buckets that you did. I mean, let's, let's go with that. I think that that's interesting. And I think though, also to go back, I read that Gallup study because when I Googled friendships at work, that mm. pulled up and they kept quoting, you know, there's the the reference to um, the good life guy who did the the longevity study. Yeah, the uh, Harvard study. Yeah. yeah, the Harvard study, I should say. Yeah, but, but it was also not longevity. I'm going to get to that one too. But the, right, the Harvard study, of course, it was all on men uh, until mm. recently. 
um, but how important friendships are. And then, you know, and I can't speak to how, how men make friends. Cause I feel like that is a whole other guys relate differently in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then second was the guy who did do the long, the longevity. So it's the, he studies the centenarians, the blue zones, Dan Buettner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, one of the nine things to help create a long life and live as long and healthy as you can is to have that those those people that community and those friendships and so we know that and then you're quoting how we're having you know it's just grown in terms of like the disparity between those numbers of what it used to be in terms of saying you have the close friend and Mm -hmm. most people feeling lonely we're engaging through screens we're not going to talk about our kids because that's a whole other you know they're navigation but we know especially i think you know we both have daughters those friendships are so important from such a young age and watching them navigate and then sometimes i'm like i don't know that what i have to offer is relevant anymore in terms of like how it is and also i do have my people my stephanie i know you listen to the show i love you i've known her literally since birth she grew up you know a house away from me Mm. Uh, my friend jen from college listen I love you too, Jen. You know, I really appreciate it. But, you know, I go home now. And since COVID, I used to see my college friends once a year. I don't. So like, Jen, I'm sorry I haven't seen you in, you know, four years of the rest of the crew. Like I loved getting together with my friends, but I got so nervous about bringing COVID into my parents' Mm -hmm. house. And I just, I prioritized them. So maybe it's just where we are in life and what we're doing with work and where we are with work and where we are with um, our priorities things shift around, but I, I, we, we have to come back to the fact that friendships are so important. So have you added any on Nyla and like in, in adulthood? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been, I, you know, I, I don't, I want to be careful about saying I've been lucky because I make, I make work of it. Right. I think, and I think that's the takeaway as I'm listening to you talk about like your summary of where we are. It's just what I would say to anybody, because I will say this, like as an executive coach who spends most of my time working in organizations, I do ask people, let's talk about the rest of your life. Like when we're goal setting for an engagement, we'll talk about the most important things they want to accomplish with work. And I'll ask them what else feels important to you. I give them the wheel of life as a tool to help them think yeah. that through. It's a tool, yeah. you know, and you've talked yeah. about on the show. Mm. And I will tell you, I would say, certainly upwards of half of my clients say, I don't spend time with my friends. I don't even know if I have any friends anymore. So I think in order for us, for any of us, to see this change, and the evidence is very clear, as you've shared, and I'm sure you'll put in the show notes, that there's impact to our productivity and happiness at work and to our lives, more importantly, right? Like our yeah. health and our well-being. If we are committed to making it an important part of our lives, we have to take action. And that might be rekindling friendships, which is something I have done in the last couple of years, is reached out to two or three people who I missed yeah, you know, time took its toll. And yeah, yeah. We, I just said that we don't have to let that happen. We can make a choice. And I reached out to two of them in particular, and we've seen each other a bunch and hung out and brought that back to life. And then I think as I've gotten older, I've also gotten more comfortable reaching out to people where we have an interest. Like, you know, I know you would ask before we talk, like as someone who works for herself, how do you make friendships? And I do belong to a bunch of different business communities and like mm. you know, little squads of people who do things together, mostly are related to work, but I will make an effort if I notice that another woman on one of these Zooms, like we're always laughing at the same jokes or we find, you know, we have a similar kind of reaction to certain types of um, ideas that are presented to us. I'll, you know, I'll send her a message and be like, hey, do you want to grab a virtual coffee later on? Just chat a little more. I'm willing to extend myself that way. That's been very helpful to me. Um, And I think that it does stretch us a little personally to be vulnerable in that way and say like, hey, you know, 
I kind of like what I see. You want to see if there's some friendship in there. And again, I don't think we're socialized to do it. We're not socialized to prioritize it in adulthood. We're so focused on our partners and our kids and our yes. aging parents. But yes. yeah, I have. And I think a lot of the people in my life and who I'm working with do because to, it's a it's part of building a rich life. It's not just about, I mean, work work is a very important part of our lives. It's a very important part of my life, but it's not the only part. And it, you know, if I want a full life, which I do, I'm going to have to put the work in. So I think it's available to all of us if we're willing to do it. And I think we just, same way we want to prioritize taking care of our health or taking care of our financial lives. We just, we got to do the work. Yes. And I will underscore what we talked about though. Those, you know, those defenses that have gone up from having your heart broken by friends who you thought were friends who, you know, and, you know, being a little gun shy, but then also the relationship analogy, like if you were dating, you know, just now we're talking about sort of more of the traditional heterosexual relationship, but a guy asking a woman out, you know, they're always putting themselves out there. Maybe, you know, know that it's kind of like dating, maybe, you know, you're, you're going to have to put your, make, put yourself out there and, someone you'll click with someone and it's okay if it's not everyone because maybe right. it's not meant to be right um and then i was also thinking there's this great clip with oprah and michelle obama mm-hmm. and <laughs> they were talking about how oprah's like bring your friends for whatever some dinner thing and she's like how many how many people and michelle was like 12 and michelle's and oprah's like no you don't there's no way you have 12 good friends and michelle's like no no i do i've like cultivated them from like different parts of my life and i really work on those and oprah's like i i've got gail like that's what i have she's like the only other person i knew who had 12 friends was jesus and one of them betrayed him you know and it's it's so funny right it that's made me laugh too and so you know you can have the oprah style maybe you, you have your gail and maybe that's Good enough because, you know, I think the one thing that came out of um, that's, I think was the Dan Buettner one was that if you had three close people, three people, and for me, my brothers are my friends, Mm. they fall into that community. They're like, I'm very blessed to have a soul family. And I know that that is not the case for many people. I'm very blessed. My parents, my brothers, like we are a soul family. I have my other wounds, but that thankfully that was not a wound for me coming yeah. into this world. So I have my brothers. I can pick up, uh, you know, gosh, some of the advice they give me sometimes. I'm like, I'm so blessed. So like, oh, I just so wonderful. About, right. So be, to be able to think about that, you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of, um, you know, who, who are those three? And if it's, if you've got your Gail, like, yeah, my girlfriend, Courtney says all the time, we talk with our kids are the same age. And she'll say to her daughters, her daughters and my daughters, like, her number is two. She's like, if you've got two people you can call on, yes. you're, you're living a great life. You're living a great life. And I think, you know, just maybe a note I want to make in closing is like, I think sometimes there's there's almost no domain of our lives where we don't compare ourselves to other people. Yes. And it can be very easy to look at other people who have those like long term, like you mentioned the friend who you grew up with your whole life. Like, I don't have that. I don't have somebody. I mean, I know people my whole life and there's some of them I exchange birthday cards with and stuff, but my intimates are for me, mostly college and afterwards. Like I'm mm. very close with my college friends and I could easily go down the path of compare and despair and be like, oh, I want someone who knew me when I was three. And I think, you know, and I also have friends, like I have a very good friend who's like, I have no friends from college. Like I, college was fine for me. I'm like, I sometimes look at her, I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, that was the best group of women I'll ever know in my life. But all to say, it's just like work or like how we look in a bathing suit. It's super easy to start comparing ourselves to other Mm. people. I wish I had that many friends or I'd known them as long or that we traveled together. We never try. I don't think that helps us at all. And 
just a note. And it's a note to myself as much as it is to anyone else. Just ease up. Like your path is your path. You find your people, be so grateful you have them. Take good, good care of them. And it doesn't have to look the same for all of us. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. And like, even my friend from, from birth, like we talk, you know, a few times a year. And then when I go home, I try to see her. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. And that happens sometimes and it doesn't. So, you know, it's, but I know that she's there and she knows that I'm here and we are sort of psychically connected too. It's just a whole other thing. She knows, like, it's just so funny. Like I texted her out of the blue one day. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, I just got out of the hospital, my appendix burst. So I'm like, I knew something was wrong. I don't know. It's just so weird. So, um, but, and then, you know, I have to give my friend Valerie a shout out too, because I've known her since we were 12, we were middle school that went into high school. And because of our last name, we sat next to each other. Like. And then as we advanced into the honors and abuse, yeah. it was very funny, literally just by virtue of our last initial, um, it placed us in proximity enough to yeah. have that, to have that friendship. And so, um, yes, go find your people, put yourself out there. I think you're right. I think your friend's right. Two friends. If you've got those two, you, you're living a great like life. Like life. you yeah. do. And, you know, if you're having a hard time, I do think finding common interests is one way, yeah. one avenue to at least know that you share that. And I think paying attention to values, mm-hmm. not just what you do, like if it is a work thing, do you share work values? Great, but do you share core values? Just like in a partner. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I, I think it's important because then you may be less likely to get burned down the road. <laughs> and, and you know what else I'll say? I think yeah. that, you know, it's like, I have a, I have a couple of friends who are single and they're the ones who are successfully kind of getting out there and dating are often saying that. It's like, when you meet someone who you think would be great for me, just don't be shy about introducing us. I wonder if we can borrow from that oh, with friendship cool. because I was thinking about this recently. I had a friend who suffered an enormous loss recently. Um, and, uh, you know, I flew to be with her um, as she was grieving and there were a handful of other women who showed up for her. And I realized like I'd known some of them we'd met when the kids were small and um, some of them I'd never met, but we'd heard of each other. And I realized then we found ourselves and there was something, of course, that moment was just so difficult and so tragic. And we were all together to support her and it will continue to be for a long time. But what I have found very like, I guess, I don't know if it's a silver lining maybe is how much the other we've come to to love each other, this extended group of women. And you realize, mm. I think it's been interesting to think about asking a friend to bring a friend, like mm. introduce me to someone. If you, you know, if I'm oh, looking I love to that. have more social time in my life, if I'm looking, and I think about this a lot because I was reading in preparation for our conversation around how much work and children, as much as I love both so much, so much, um, are some of the reasons we spend less time on friendship. I'm like, okay, if I'm now prioritizing, if anyone's now prioritizing having more friendship in my life, we need a hand. We might need someone to say, you know, we get along so great. We have such a great time you want to bring someone else to lunch next time we get together. Or if we're going to go on a hike, bring someone you think I might enjoy because it's like, we would do it for dating. So why wouldn't oh, we do it for friendship? I love that. I love that. And like I'm a multiplier thinking of friends who might be. So like my friend, Jen is British. She lives here in California. She's probably the only woman that I added on, like as a dear friend where to the point where there was a school trip for a competition, our daughters were in, in Sacramento. And my daughter was like, mom, when you're with, Jenny, you laugh like I do with my friends. And I'm so grateful to have somebody who I can laugh with and have those deep conversations with. So like, you're going to find different people who bring different, like bring the different things. And then, um, yeah. And my friend Maria Elena and I were in theater together. She moved out to California and we stayed in, like I ran into her in New York city randomly, like so randomly 
And I also love that. Yeah. But was it random? And I told her how I wanted to move to California and she moved to California and we stayed in touch and she lives in LA and, you know, we connect when we get a chance. So like, I think there's this, this, um, assumption that with friendships, you're talking to them every day, you're doing all these things like, no, it's your people. And then how much you actually do, or like how social you are, how much you get out there is really about really taking stock of how much you need and desire and calibrating that. Cause like, sometimes like I don't leave my house. You know what I mean? Unless like Jenny would be like, let's go do this. And I'm like, oh yeah. Or you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, even as an extrovert, like sometimes oh, I'm the same forget. way. I mean, I'm, I'm quite extroverted, but I'm also like quite <laughs> tired. So I'll often like my evenings, I'm often like, yeah, I'm done. Like I worked a long day, hung out with the kids, went to the gym, saw some friends for lunch or whatever. And then I want to be done. And my best friend lives two towns away. And she is, has her social drive is so much greater than mine. And she'll often be like, no, I'm coming over or you're coming here and we're going to hang out a little bit because we haven't done it in a week and it's too long. And, you know, you need a little kick. Sometimes, sometimes you need a little kick. Yeah. yeah. And some of your friends are good at that. Like my friend Jenny is good at that. Like, what are yeah. you doing right now? Let's go meet for a coffee. And I'm like, right. I've got to do. Okay. I'm meeting you. Yeah. If you, you know let me my own devices, I'd be back in my sweatpants and on the couch with my book, which is, right. <laughs> but you know, I guess it just comes down to like what you want right? What do you want out of your life? And how do you want to integrate friendship into your life? And then what are you willing to work at in order to have, it's like a goal. It's like any goal. Yeah. You want to have rewarding, rich friendships and you want to be able to travel and have great times with your friends. You got to put the work in, you got to prioritize it and say no to other things to make it happen. Yes. And if you've been wounded by friends, we have, like, I feel you, I I get it, Nyla, like we get it really truly. And put yourself out there and know that there are great people just yes. like if you were dating. So um, I loved this conversation. I always love all too. of ours, but I have to ask you just for fun because I like yes. you. What does living a good life mean to you? Um, I will tell you that for me, it means paying attention to myself, like self-honoring and as well as for my family, just like not getting too busy to pay attention to what's really happening um, and then being deliberate about what happens next. And then I'm really deepening my practice around gratitude, like deliberately practicing that. And so that has been revealing some wonderful things in the last couple of days. So that's been great. That's for me, that's where I am right now. I love it. I love connecting with you. You're so lovely and um, such a rich and interesting and fun conversation. I knew this would be fun. We like kind of had a roadmap and we didn't do any of it. And that's what I love about it. So that's, what's so good about it. This was fantastic. I think it was so just much, right. So much gold. Yeah. I right. It. No, totally. Yeah. And honestly, friendships are so important. And so we, I support that. I want, I still desire more, you know, yeah. in that and richening that. And I support any of you out there and feel free to reach out. All of the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Be sure to share this with a friend. Um, yeah and get the conversation going. And Nyla, where do I direct people to connect with you? Where do you hang out? Well, I hang out on LinkedIn a lot because I am a professional executive coach, but I also come to my website, nylabari.com. It's N-A-Y-L-A-B-A-H-R-I.com. And then you can connect to LinkedIn, Instagram, my newsletter, um, if I'm speaking in your area or on another podcast like this, or sharing an episode of my podcast, The Inside Job which I would love to have people listen to. So oh, thank you. Of course. And all of the, those links will be in the show notes at thegoodlifecoach.com uh, to make it easy to find Nyla. Um, loved being with you today. Always, always such a pleasure. So much pleasure. fun. So much fun. Thank you, Nyla. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration 
for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.